Welcome to the College Sports Insider, presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, it's Selection Sunday for the NCAA basketball tournament. You've just watched the selection show. You've filled out all your brackets. You have 68 men's teams and 64 women's teams all set to go. But have you ever stopped to wonder, just how are all of these 132 teams going to get to where they're scheduled to play? And how are they going to get there in just a few days? Well, our next guest can answer all of those questions for you. Juanita Shealy is the NCA Director of Travel and Insurance, and she leads the team that's responsible for getting those teams to their destinations. Juanita, welcome to you. Thank you. So we were joking before, and you were saying that, that sometimes you like the notion of anonymity, that nobody knows who you are <laughs> and what you do, because you said if your name actually gets known, it's probably because there's been a problem. Exactly. Have you been able to manage that, to sort of keep anonymous over the years doing what you do? Pretty much, um, with the exception of 2014, and that's when the interest in, in this whole process became um, really out there. Um for the most part, nobody really thought about how the teams get there or the logistics behind it, and, or much less the time frame in which all this kind of magic has to happen. We had a kind of bad year in 2014. It kind of brought it out to the forefront. Um, and so um, that's that's other than that, it's been pretty easy. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. Until I sat down and started to take a look at this in anticipation of you and I having this conversation, even I had never given any thought to it. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, what, you want to talk about a logistical nightmare. <laughs> you know, you, you're getting these. Well, let me ask you this. When are you told what teams are in and where they're playing? Um, about, I think the, the earliest I've ever gotten the information is about 12 minutes before the broadcast starts on CBS. <laughs> all right. So this is not one of those deals where you've no. been already <laughs> making your phone calls and doing your scheduling. Literally. Yeah, if I had a week's notice, you know, I wouldn't really need a job. <laughs> it would be easy. Um, but I've got about 12 minutes notice before the phone starts to ring. All right. I'm going to get to in a moment what you start doing sure. once you have seen the, 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 the brackets and where everybody is. But let's start, first talk about, about your, your team and where you do this, all right? So sure. first give me a sense of what, what, is, what does the team look like and how many people are involved with okay. you? So my team here at the national office is me and two other people. Um, I have an associate director and a coordinator. And um, you have to realize that in addition to men's and women's basketball, we have 26 other sports going on. So I will go to our travel agency, Shorts Travel, who handles um, – they're kind of our front line, first line of defense <laughs> folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go to their office in Waterloo, Iowa, while the rest of my staff stays here to manage swimming and wrestling and indoor track and all of the D2 because and D3 that's important. sports. It, it, it's, they all you, still have Everybody to doesn't shut down for the men's and women's basketball tournament. Absolutely not. You have a lot of other championships taking place around that same time. Right. The D3 swimming championship is just as important to those student-athletes as the men's basketball championship is to their student-athletes. Right. And, and here's something that, that I think a lot of people don't realize. Who is paying for all of this? The NCAA pays for it. So it's not the schools themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the players, not the coaches. The NCAA basically is, uh, not basically, is, in fact, picking up the tab and paying for all of the travel for all the championship teams. Right. All right. So uh, and as a consequence of that, you are scheduling all exactly. of the travel <laughs> for all the teams. So you now are camping out in Waterloo, Iowa. How, <laughs> long do you, how long do you usually stay there? 
Um, if things go well, I'm there for about seven or eight days. Um, I have been there as long as 10 or 11 um, when things have not gone as well as we would hope that they would. Um, but for the most part, it's about eight days. I'll arrive either Saturday night or early Sunday morning, Selection Sunday, and I'll leave the following weekend. Once we get through the first week where the majority of teams, you know, 130-some teams are being moved, it becomes easier <laughs> once you get down. A little more man- I should say it becomes a little more manageable. I'm not sure it becomes easier. Um, so you, you get out there to Waterloo, Iowa, and you're working in what I've seen described as a war room. Mm-hmm. D- describe for us, what does the war room look like? <laughs> so it's probably about 20 by 10. There are about three or four of us in there, and the walls are that white doesn't sound like walls. a war room. It sounds like a war closet. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need a lot of room. Um, we're a cozy bunch. We've gotten to know each other well over the years. You spend 18 hours locked in a room with somebody. And you get to be good friends You get to be good friends. Or you get to be really not good friends. <laughs> Not much in between. Um, but the really cool thing about it is the walls they have um, redone to be like whiteboard walls. And that's pretty much where the puzzle all comes together. So we have a section of wall for the men's teams and a section of wall for the women's teams. And it just helps us visualize um, everything that's coming in, what still needs to be done, and where we're at in the process. Now, let's again, explain some of what you're doing here and the complications that come into play. So you're now in the war room. You've got your your staff. Um, You are watching, as everybody else is watching, the reveal here. Maybe you get it 12 minutes beforehand, (laughs) not a whole lot more than anybody else. And all of a sudden now you have these brackets, 68 teams for the men's side, 64 teams on the women's side, and you have to start arranging travel. Now, I suspect if you asked somebody on the street okay, what, what sort of a travel party are you talking about with one of these teams? I suspect they'd say, okay, we well, have maybe 15 players, uh, three or four coaches, uh, support staff, training staff, uh, athletic director, some athletic staff. And my guess is people would say maybe 20 to 30 people is your traveling party. You're laughing. <laughs> if only 20 to 30 people. Okay. I, again, I was astonished at this number. What, what's the average number, if you would, for a traveling party? On the men's side, it's probably 100 to 120. Um, on the women's side, it's probably around 80. Wait, who are all these people? <laughs> where, where are they coming from? So the NCAA's official travel party is 75 people, and then they can bring extras as they want to. Um, our 75-person travel party consists of the team and the coaches and the administrators, all the support team that want to be there. But then we also pay for the band, cheerleaders, and mascot. So there's about 31 people who are directly associated with the team, and the other 44 are the band, cheer, and mascot. Those people are just as important because that adds kind of that air of the college experience, if you will. It adds that atmosphere that you want in the arena. Because one of the best shots that we have on one shining moment is the band, you know, the, right. you know, yeah. the, and if you've been there, <laughs> the you know, player, the tuba I player. And I mean, I, it's I've, just, I've had the it good wouldn't fortune, be the same experience I've had the good fortune of being in a number of Final Fours. And, right. And it is the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said to people before, I've been to professional, I've been to Super Bowls, and I've been to NBA Finals, and, and they're all wonderful in their own way. Mm-hmm. But what I've said about about the basketball tournaments, and, and I say also about the you know, the college football championships, which is not what, what you're involved in, but it it feels like it's a college event. Exactly. And so much of that is because of the band, and you have the mascots sliding across the floor, <laughs> doing whatever it is that the mascots exactly. do, uh, and that's such an integral element, I think, of of why. 
um, why these events mean are so meaningful to mm-hmm. so many people. Even if you're not connected to the team, you're, you're tuning in and you're saying, wow, this feels kind of fun. This feels like like, like college. Too. Yeah. And on social media, you see just as many of the band and cheerleaders tweeting about their experience, maybe even more so than some of the players, um, and talking about what a great time they've had and how fun it is to get to be a part of it. So it's, it's a really neat experience for everybody. All right. So you're in your war room. You've got your, <laughs> your walls that are covered with whiteboards. And now you're taking a look for the first time at the full brackets. You see mm-hmm. every, all the team um, slotted in where the, where the games are going to be. Uh, of course, you don't know yet who's going to proceed to the next round, but you've got that, that, that first setup, if you will. But is, is there some way, do you look at that at the very beginning and are you able to, to glean immediately some things that may well be problems or issues for you? What are you looking for on that first glance? So the very first thing we do is separate the teams between who's going to be required to drive and who can fly. Right. And so what's the, what's the, what is the dividing line, if you would, in terms of mileage for who <laughs> is on a bus and who's going to fly? It's 350 miles for Division One basketball. It's different for um, different divisions. And then in Division One, there's different mileage requirements right. for sport. But for basketball, it's 350 miles. 350 miles, less than that? Less than that, you're on a bus. Right. At 350, you get to fly. Okay. So the very first thing is we figure out who's flying and who's driving. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had uh, anybody, I'll get back to you, have you ever had anybody call you up and say, we're we're 347 miles, so we'd really like to take the plane. I have people who call me up and go, we're 349 miles. We'd really like to take the plane. You can absolutely do that if you want to, but what the NCAA pays for is a drive, and then you pay the difference to fly. Okay. So, right. so that first thing you're looking at is, okay, where are the dividing lines here in mm-hmm. terms of, of driving and flying? Then what are you doing? And then um, what we look at is starting to look at the who are the long hauls. So um, who's going to go, you know, say from North Carolina to Spokane, for example? Um, who's coming from California over to New York? Where are those long flights going to be? Because those are the flights that are really going to eat up our air, our available aircraft and, most importantly, crew time, because those are the longest flights that we have. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we're looking for any trouble spots. The first four, the first four games, the ones that happen in Dayton, are immediately our, our primary concern. So we'll have one person just dedicated to getting those teams' informations, um, and because they've got basically two days to get there, uh, less than two days. Less to than get two there. days. So They're playing Tuesday, the, the selection show is Sunday, and they're traveling on Monday. Yeah. Um, and the ones who play on Tuesday generally have to be there by noon, two o'clock on Monday. So they can get media obligations, practice, see the venue, and do all the things that they need to do prior to the game. So when I have um, a West Coast team who's playing on Tuesday and needs to travel at 8 a.m. Monday morning, that can be a little problematic. So those, those first eight teams are the ones we're taking a look at the very first. Well, we then start gathering information. We have a little more time for the rest of them. Where do all the planes come from? <laughs> well, there are um, a handful of charter companies who all they do is charter flights. Um, and then we use um, the legacy carriers to kind of fill in the gaps, if you will. So the Deltas, the Southwest of the world, they have charter operations. A lot more limited these days than they used to be. Um, Why is that? Why are there, they're just seeing less charter companies in, in existence? Less charter companies in existence. They exist on a very razor-thin margin of profitability. Um, the airline industry is a hard industry. 
Um, I think it was uh, Richard Branson who said the best way to make $100 million is to invest a billion dollars in an airline. (laughs) (laughs) So um, historically, they've not been very profitable. It's very difficult to make money. Um, So charter companies um, do come and go, but there are some solid ones who've been out there for a long time. But then the commercial carriers, the Deltas in the Southwest, they are at a point in their operations where their scheduled service, so the things that they do every day for the general public, is so profitable for them that it doesn't make sense to dedicate resources, which are at a premium, to charter operations that, you know, for 10 days in March. Right. So so where, where do you get then your roster of, of charter companies and planes that might be available to you? Have they expressed interest? Have they, they you know, sort of bid into this whole process so you know who's available for certain routes? Yeah. So in the summertime, well before the, the tournament ever starts, um, Shorts and, and our folks are out there talking to the charter carriers who are in business, um, the ones we've used forever. Um, if there's any new players in the market, it seems like it's a really, you know, big world, but it's not. And everybody knows everybody. It's kind of like collegiate athletics in that respect. Um, so anytime anybody new comes into the market or new companies come in, we'll take a look at them. Um, we prefer to work directly with the charter carriers instead of through brokers. Um, just as a cost savings, and we really get them to understand what our program is like because there's nothing else like this operation in the world. Um, so we're vetting them, going through safety checks, um, you know, signing contracts, issuing guarantees you know, in the summertime and early fall, well before March ever takes place. So we'll have a fleet of dedicated aircraft that are just ours, that are just moving our stuff and not doing anything else, and then we'll fill in any holes with... Um, you know, the Deltas of Southwest and any smaller carriers that can't dedicate aircraft, um, but might have some availability in between other things they're already contracted for. So you, you've got your roster, if you will, of, of uh, possible carriers that are going to move the teams, and, and including bus transportation. And you now know, here are, my, here are my teams. Here are my 68 men's teams. Here are my 64 women's teams. How do you communicate with each of those teams to find out what their needs are going to be? So my shorts travel staff is divided kind of into two groups. There's the three or four of us who are in the war room, and we're talking directly to the airlines themselves. And then I have a group of six or seven people in a room next door whose sole job it is to talk to the teams. Um, So, again, they're kind of my first line of defense um, for when the teams start getting a little anxious or um, wanting to know when their um, arrangements are going to be ready. Why don't I know my flight times yet? What's going on? Um, So their sole job is to talk to the teams, get their preferences, make sure everything's in our portal. So we have an electronic system to help us manage all the data, make sure everything's in there, everything's correct. We know exactly what they want to do. And then by probably 9 or 10 o'clock, sometimes a little later, we're ready to send that information out to the carriers. So we gather all the team's information know exactly what they want to do, what day they want to leave, how many people they're taking, what airports they're flying out of. We put that all into the system and send out a bid to all of our carriers. Say, okay, tell us what you can do. And they'll send bids back and they'll tell us, we can take these 15 teams. Um, They'll give us pricing and departure times and arrival times and all that kind of stuff. And then we start awarding um, probably by about noon on Monday. Um, for those teams that are not in the first four, generally Sunday night, the first four teams have a pretty good idea of what they're doing. 
I got to tell you, as you explain this to me, I'm, I'm getting visions. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a history major in, in college and, and, and do a lot of reading. And, and I'm getting visions of General Eisenhower in his planning room before D-Day <laughs> and walls covered with maps and schedules and, and vehicles and vessels. And it's kind of sounded to me that that's what your war room looks <laughs> like. It's not that far like. off, really. <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, my own staff, not not my direct staff, but the group that I work in administrative services here at the NCAA, um, my vice president said, you know, what, at our next staff meeting, why don't you take a few minutes and kind of walk folks through, you know, what you're doing out there in March. There's a lot of folks who don't have any idea what goes on. Take some pictures. And my entire staff just kind of <laughs> stood there with their eyes open going, Oh my gosh! <laughs> no wonder you're calling us to get um, X Y Z done, or no wonder you're having a heart attack if your computer crashes and you get the you know blue screen of death. <laughs> you know because there are the IT staff and the right. accounting staff and and all of those folks. So it's it's really kind of eye opening for everybody. You mentioned that the 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 teams will contact you. Here's the size of our traveling party. Here's where we'd like to fly out of. Now, I imagine that there are a lot of teams who during the course of their regular season. You know, they might have a small regional airport near them, and that's where their charter goes. I suspect that's probably where they would like to fly out rather than to maybe have to drive an hour or maybe even mm -hmm. two hours to a major airport. Are you usually able to accommodate those requests? Probably about 95 to 98% of the time. We can get them to their closest airport because it doesn't do anybody any good if they're on a bus for an hour ahead of time. It just it complicates matters because a bus could break down. They could hit traffic. Anything could cause them to be late if they've got an hour drive to get there. And once you have one plane late, that plane is not just carrying Team A. There's Team B, C, and possibly D on all behind them. And you start out late at the very first one or even the second one, and it just has downline effects. And it can also have effects for the next couple of days because of crew rest issues. If they work too long today, they can't start as and early as they can that's, tomorrow. That's something that's changed fairly recently, right, in terms yeah. of the limitations on, on 2014. crew airtime? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 2014 was when new regulations first went into effect, which is why that year was particularly bad. Um, the airlines thought they were ready for it, and they thought they knew you know, how it was going to affect them. And when it came right down to it, the new regulations went into effect two months before March Madness. And it was a mess. It was have, an absolute Have mess. you been able to sort of adjust to that over the years since? Yeah. I think even the next year, they were definitely more prepared and had a better idea of how it would affect everybody. We also went out and guaranteed more aircraft and, you know, put a few more resources in our back <laughs> pockets that we might need. Um, it just caught everybody off guard, I think, in 2014. So you've got the, for the men's side, you've got the first four to deal with, and then you get into the first weekend, both men's and women's. How much easier does your life get? <laughs> you, know, you finish the first weekend, now you're down to the Sweet 16. Mm -hmm. right? But there's still a, a lot of movement involved. Is it, are you able to really take a breath? Is it, once you get in the second weekend, is it much more manageable or are there still now problems that are specific to that second weekend? Um, there are problems specific to the second weekend. So one of them is um, depending on when a holiday falls. Mm -hmm. So if we get Easter in there, um, that can be problematic. Airline crews want to spend time with their families on the week on holiday weekends just like anybody else does. And so they might not bid to work as much. So I might not have as many crew available to fly the planes. Um Sometimes, depending on where they're going, weather is constantly a, a factor. You know, we just kind of hold our breaths most of the time and just really fingers crossed and pray <laughs> that the weather's going to hold out. Um, and, of course, 
it becomes, um, while there's less teams, each team becomes a little more high anxiety. So the farther they go in the tournament, the more the stakes are raised, Mm -hmm. obviously. You know, once you get to the Sweet 16, you're two games away from the Final Four. Once you get to the Final Four, you're two games away from a national championship. So everything just gets ratcheted up a little bit, and, and the anxiety goes up and tempers can can have to be managed sometimes, but... Um, and your job is to keep everybody calm. And, as much and, as possible. And keep functioning as <laughs> exactly. much as possible. We, we saw this year, and, and one of the stories that, that got a lot of play was the University of Michigan's basketball team, and, and, and they, you know, fortunately, there was no injuries, but they had a, a problem on, mm-hmm. their, on their departure. And as a consequence, they had to get on different planes. Uh, they didn't get their uniforms mm-hmm. immediately. Um, but they were able to get there and they were able to get the play. Have you ever had in your experience um, any any real and I don't use I don't mean the term disaster in terms of somebody being injured mm-hmm. or harmed. I mean a logistical disaster where things just didn't work. Um, I would say I'm gonna go back to 2014 again. That was probably our I'm worst glad I year. Was, I'm glad I wasn't in the war room yeah, with you right? in 2014. That didn't um, sound like it was a fun time. It was not a fun time. I, I remember there's it was probably 3 a.m. one morning. I'm like, okay, I need to get like two hours of sleep, and then I can come back and refocus on what we're doing here. Um, but we had a particular problem. The one that caught, you know, there's a coach that talked about travel plans at his post-game press conference. That's always fun to wake up to. (laughs) Um, But one team in particular, just uh, they had a really bad flight time, nothing that could be avoided. And then when they landed at their destination, um, it just slipped through the cracks. And instead of having three buses for them, we only had one. Um, And so they were also 45 minutes from their campus. So that bus had to do like three loops. So once they landed, some of their travel party was there for like three or four hours before they got back to campus. That's probably one of the worst things that happened. We've had folks leave uniforms on their bus um, and we've overnighted them. You know, um, they've shown up with too much equipment. We've had to take time to pull it off and figure out how to ship it. So um, there was one time where they had to decide either the tubas get to come or... <laughs> or you have to take a fuel stop. <laughs> so you tell us which one is more important to you. We end up taking the tubas off and shipping them. So those types of things, they have to be managed as they come up, but they're things that we expect. Um, but luckily, um, you know, that what happened to University of Michigan was really unfortunate, very fortunate that nobody was injured more than it was. And, you know, those are types of things that, quite frankly, I just don't like to think about. <laughs> Let me ask you about one of my favorites that I saw. Tell me if it was true or not. It, it was looked like it was a screenshot of Prince Charles, right? <laughs> the, the heir to the throne in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. And the message was something to the effect of we might be delayed. This Our flight might be delayed because of Prince Charles. <laughs> First of all, did, did that in fact happen? And that, secondly, what was your reaction when you saw that? <laughs> um, that did in fact happen. Um, I don't. I don't think the flight ended up being more than about twenty minutes late. But what some folks don't realize, whether it's a visiting head of state, it's the president's Air Force One, they shut down all air um, the airspace completely within a certain mile radius of wherever that plane is flying out of. So nothing is moving but that plane. They don't care who you are. It doesn't matter if you're headed to the Final Four or not. If a head of state or the president needs to fly, <laughs> airspace is shut down, and you just have to wait your turn. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, that actually did happen this first time. That's actually happened in March. Um, and at that point, all you can do is laugh. I mean, really, what can I do? Tell Prince Charles, hey, do you think you could maybe leave tomorrow? I got a basketball tournament to run. Yeah, I got a game to do. Right? <laughs> so when is it that you and your team are finally able to sit down and take a deep breath and say, all right, we got this? Um, I'm never completely relaxed until all the teams are at the Final Four. Um because, you know, if you have problems getting them home, that's, I mean, yes, there's an issue. You want to get them home, get them back to class. If they've won the national championship, their victory celebrations, all that good stuff. But it's less of an issue if they have a problem going home than if they have a problem getting there. Um, so once they're all at the Final Four, everybody's there, they have all their equipment, and the games are ready to start, I'm like, okay, now we can kick back and relax. <laughs> and that's about the time that, you know, take a deep breath and put my feet up for a while and take a really long nap. <laughs> well, Juanita, I know you've said that you're in a position where yeah, you're better off when people don't know who you are and what you're doing, because if they do, it's probably because there is a problem. Uh, but I want to say, having learned about what you do, it, it you do a, a phenomenal job, you and your staff. It's astonishing to me that you're able to get this done. Um, and more people should know about <laughs> what you're doing and what a good job you all do. Well, so I appreciate that. We have a really good team behind us, you know, my staff, the short staff, and all the folks who who work on it. Plus, you know, the basketball staff who actually run the tournament. They're very supportive of us, help us out when things come up. So um, it's a big, it's a big undertaking. But at the end of the day, when you see that tournament happen and, you know, you watch the kids coming off the plane in um, Phoenix and, you know, they're using their cell phones and taking pictures and they're just so excited. You look at it and you think, yep, that was, that was worth it. Well, I, I want to say to you on behalf of everybody who just loves what happens in terms of these championships. Juanita, I want to thank you and your staff for making it happen for us. And perhaps someday you'll get a chance to, to, to get out and take a bow <laughs> and, and get nothing but applause and no complaints whatsoever. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, you thank all, you. You all do a fabulous job. Thanks again, thank Juanita. You. Uh, our thanks to Juanita Sheely for sharing the insider, pulling back the curtain, if you will, on how everybody gets to where they need to be. Uh, that does it for us for today. I'm Jack Ford. Hope you'll join us again for the College Sports Insider.